Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast as we get ready for the weekend and training camps in the CFL starting, but in Regina, a little somber after four players in a short span suffered Achilles injuries doing the same workout on Thursday. So we'll talk to Rob Vanstone about what the mood is in Regina. He's from the Regina Leader Post. And then we will talk to Ryan Brandt, one soccer correspondent, about the Euro 2020 final coming up on Sunday, as well as Valor FC's start to the CPL season. So stay tuned to the podcast. Tomorrow morning, training camps begin in the Canadian Football League here in Winnipeg, 9.45 a.m. start. Bob Irving will have his training camp updates for you starting Sunday morning at 25 after the hour and going on through the sportscasts for, well, the rest of training camp. It's awesome. And not awesome is the rash of injuries that we have seen with the CFLPA putting out a memo to its membership league-wide today that six members have experienced Achilles tendon injuries, four of them on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we do know the four on the Rough Riders who suffered the injuries. And we go now to Regina and our friend Rob Vanstone from the Regina Leader Post. Uh, Rob, first of all, how have you been? I've been all right. Um, I've got 108 pounds between uh, visits to Mosaic nice. Stadium for football. So I'm kind of uh, excited to see how I make it up the ramps tomorrow. I think it'll be more brisk. Um, and I'm also really uh, curious now about the Gary South Shore Railcats. I want to know a lot more about this team. So. Well, your, I can your tell you. Podcast intrigued me. <laughs> well, here's the thing with us in South Shore and Rail. So South Shore is one word, but the S of Shore is capitalized, and then Railcats is one word, and the C of Cats is capitalized. There's a lot of capital letters going on in Gary South Shore Railcats, and that's about all I can tell you about the Gary South Shore Railcats, Rob. Well, I'm going to follow them on Twitter, and I may buy a hat. So. It's got a big G, a big G and a claw over the G. Now you don't have a G in your name, so what's this? What's even that about? I don't know. I like. I had. I had a Gatorade this afternoon, so maybe it all fits together. All right. I have a friend named Gary, so I should get him a hat. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk Sorry. about. That's okay. That's okay. We're having fun. <laughs> the 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 situation in Regina. When when you learned yesterday uh, that four players had suffered an Achilles injury within a span of just minutes. What went through your mind? Well, it was just, it was enough, Christian, when, when you hear the you know, the first one name that was reported was Larry Dean. There, he was going to be their starting middle linebacker and a very good middle linebacker. And and so you hear Larry, the reports of Larry Dean and you're thinking, oh my goodness. And that's just one player. And then word began to seep out that there were two, maybe three, maybe four. And then it's confirmed by Jeremy O'Day by the end of the afternoon that there are in fact four not only that same injury same same drill and now we find out today via the memo circulated by the cfl players association there were four injuries in six minutes it is the odds are incalculable like my goodness i i'm just absolutely floored and i think everybody is it's uh, it's really sent shockwaves through the league even if you don't have an abiding interest in the saskatchewan rough riders if you're a fan you've got to be worried what training camps are going to be like for the players. And if you're a player or a coach, you've got to be so apprehensive going in. What, uh, what, uh, and how much is this extended hiatus uh, factored into what's, what's happening? The other three players, defensive end, Freddie Bishop, defensive back, Nelson Lacombo, who is a high draft pick number two in the 2021 draft, as well as 
kind of a depth running back, Jonathan Femi Cole. What was the drill they were doing? Do you know? It's been reported by a few media outlets that it was the, they were lifting a medicine ball in the air and then and then running in sort of a burst of energy. So uh, that's what I've seen. I can't pretend that this is expertise that I have acquired myself. There's numerous uh, sources on Twitter that have uncovered this. Every, everybody from Justin Dunk to Dave Naylor to the Pitfalls podcast in Regina to Arash Madani. So there's various people other than myself who've, who've unearthed this, but that's apparently what it was. There was a medicine ball involved in tossing it in the air and then, and then a quick burst of energy. And so, as you mentioned, then going into training camps tomorrow, I'm sure across the league people are, are thinking, okay, well, this has been a super long layoff. We should – I mean, they're already probably going to take it pretty easy going into the start of training camp, but now I'm sure the trepidation uh, ramps up a little bit even more. Well, it just changes the whole mindset too going in. I mean, there was so much excitement. Finally, the training camps are happening, and now there's this – cloud hanging over not only the Rough Riders and, and, and the Alouettes, but I think every every fan base and every staff in the league is going to be concerned about what Saturday and Sunday are going to look like. And they're sort of between a rock and a hard place when you look at the pre-camp workouts, because I would think that the risk of, energy, of injury during camp would be minimized if you're easing the players into it and having some workouts to, to lead up to it. Um, that to me would have been the the safer course of action as opposed to hermetically sealing the players throughout this protocol uh, throughout the quarantine right until you have camp and then they've been training during the off season to varying degrees and then you they can't do anything they're pretty much locked in these dorms and all of a sudden they've got to compete for jobs again to me i think the transitory step was needed between between uh quarantine and camp that to me would have seemed to have been a precaution as opposed to something that would have been the, been the catalyst for injuries. That's what really surprises me. And, and if you're getting injured at this, at this rate, at this juncture, what does that mean for, for camp? I think the trepidation has got to be huge here right across the board. And we saw a lot of injuries in training camps in the NFL last fall when they had a, a very different offseason. They didn't have OTAs. They didn't have really most of the workouts they had leading into camp. There were a number of serious injuries there too. Just specifically, Rob, on the Rough Riders, what does this do for their defense now that Larry Dean is not an option now? Well, you've got to look at uh, this Rough Riders defense is trying to replace two surefire Hall of Famers. Uh, Charleston Hughes has led the league in sacks the past four years. Two of them were spent with the Rough Riders. He's now with the Toronto Argonauts. So they needed a defensive end, and Freddie Bishop III was was definitely in the mix to fill one of those spots at defensive end. But Charlton Hughes may be impossible to replace, but Freddie Bishop is a pretty reputable player in his own right. Then you're looking at Larry Dean, who in 2018 with Hamilton was named the most outstanding defensive player in the East Division, was an East, was a West Division All-Star in 2019 with Edmonton. And they're trying to, he's trying to replace Solomon Alabimian, who himself was a West, West Division All-Star in 2019 with the Riders. That is a like uh, Charleston Hughes, sure to go to the Hall of Fame. And so those are two pivotal positions. In the CFL, if you don't have a middle linebacker, you don't have a, a defensive end who can rush the passer with some ferocity and effectiveness, you're in trouble. And and so Larry Dean's arrival had sort of allayed any questions about what the Rough Riders were going to do at middle linebacker because it's, it's almost a carbon copy of Solomon Alabimian. It's a player who was turning 33 uh, this season, as did Solomon Alamimian in, in 2019, and, uh, and who has a 
tremendous resume. So now, how do you replace both those players, the two of the premium choices to succeed uh, Hughes and Alamimian are both on the shelf and practices don't begin till tomorrow. And it's, you're also encumbered as far as bringing players in because of the quarantine regulations and, and COVID and everything. It's, it's not just as simple as putting somebody on a plane anymore. That's right. And to, to the thought that it's just older players like Bishop and, and Dean are in their early thirties, the combo is just out of school, so it yeah it, it could hit anybody, right? I need to have an NFL workout lined up, and I've been working quite feverishly in advance of that. Working out quite feverishly in advance of that, but I think I wonder if one of the issues is if, you know there were NFL injuries in the NFL, nothing quite like what happened on Thursday to the Rough Riders, but in most cases those players, unless you're coming right out of college, but if they've signed any kind of NFL contract at all, they probably have the wherewithal to ensure that that uh, a they don't have to hold down another job. And B, they can hire uh, personal training staff, even if there aren't any OTAs, to, to ensure that they are working out under supervision all the time and, 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 and taking as good a care as they can of themselves during the offseason. They, they have the money to hire professionals. If you're a CFL player making the minimum, say, $65,000, and you've just been trying to get, make, get a job to feed your family for the last year and a half, yeah, you've been you've probably found some time to work out, but it's not like you have the resources to work out four or five hours a day, mm. 30, 35, 40 hours a week. But suddenly that becomes the imperative and football is your job again. But there's a difference between being in shape and being in practice shape and then being in game shape. And I wonder if just the, the nature of the economics of the CFL, the realities those players have faced over the last year and a half has worked against them as far as being able to flip that switch even gradually, and return to the field and ultimately the game. So in Regina then, over the last 24 hours since this news came out, has has the tone kind of taken a little bit more of a somber turn heading into training camp? Yeah, I was talking to somebody today and, uh, you know, a real you know, someone with a huge interest in the Rough Riders had been looking forward to training camp for a long time. And, and, and she looked at me somberly and said, this was supposed to be such an exciting day. It's just like the, the balloon's been punctured. And uh, uh, I think over time that excitement will return. And I think as soon as people see that there's a workout, and uh, you know, there'll be that excitement. The fans aren't yet allowed in. But there's also going to be you – know, people are going to be watching. As much as they're watching the prospects, you know, we're going to be keeping a close eye tomorrow at practice on, okay, is everybody standing? Are there stretchers? Are there trainers? Like if this is happening in a, in a, in a workout – prior to camp uh, i think the, the the workout the first sanctioned or official first official workout warrants even closer scrutiny than it would have received we're not just going to be looking at who's throwing passes and who's catching them it's going to be is everybody still upright that's going to be the paramount concern i think over the first two or three days while this this shock is still palpable is uh is, is everybody going to be uh, does this signal that what happened yesterday uh, portend uh, bad news right through camp, not only here but elsewhere. Maybe it'll calm down, and uh, and uh, this will just be a an aberration. But it's hard to think that it will be an anomaly when it happened in a in a non-contact, non-competitive situation. And at some point, the players are going to be thrust into that, and they're going to be doing it without any preseason games this year. Training camps are longer, but there's no preseason games. What's what are the next few weeks going to be like? That's uh, it's it's a pretty uh, discomforting feeling. I hope everybody. I hope everyone's okay. 
Before I let you go, Rob, every time I have you on, uh, we bring up that you are a very big Jets fan. And now that we are getting close to the expansion draft and free agency and whatnot, what kind of offseason are you expecting from the Jets? I'd love to see about uh, a bunch of Victor Hedman look like show up in Winnipeg. <laughs> I doubt that it's going to happen. It's just, uh, you know, the, they're going to lose a good player in the expansion draft. There's no way around that. They're forward. They're, they're going to lose a good defenseman. Uh, uh, they're going to lose a good forward. Uh, but I, I, they, Kevin Chevalier has really got to make an emphatic move, if possible, to get a defenseman or two in to shore up that part of the team. I, everywhere else you look there, they're they're in good shape. You wonder what the the the, the trade date's going to be. They've got such a wealth of forwards. Uh, who do you um, relinquish in order to get a defenseman who could be that impactful? I've read some reports that are saying Kyle Connor might be that player. You, you see certain names thrown around. I hate to see Kyle Connor go, but if you don't give up a, a substantial player, you're not going to get one. The defense re- requires a lot more attention, unless you know Billy can suddenly uh, blossom. Uh, next year or you know they can, that's just somebody somebody in their in their chain but uh there paul that paul maurice is a vet is a veteran oriented coach and likes to ease the defense but then we're still waiting for sammy Biku's breakout after all these years so i would think they would have to make a move from their forward core in order or in order to address the defense yeah to get someone like a dougie hamilton i think someone like kyle connor would have to go the other way i, I don't think that's going to happen just because i don't think carolina is going to let dougie go but anyway these are conversations that will be had on cgob for weeks to come rob appreciate your time and uh, have fun with training camp i certainly will i can hardly wait and i appreciate your time uh, too christian take care all right ryan so at the start of the tournament we had you guessed England would be in the final against France. One out of two ain't bad. Uh, how, what do you have to say for your predictions right now? Uh, my the biggest problem is trying to figure out if I stick with my guns with England just based on how Italy has looked in this entire competition, and they've got to a point where you're watching them just difficult to break down for the other teams, and we saw how England has been kind of struggling at times to find some offense. And you think maybe Italy is the best team for sure so far in this competition, but things kind of are also just lining up for England. The way the draw played out, some underdogs in the group stage getting through and setting up for matches. You know, in the quarterfinals, England gets Ukraine. In the semifinals, they face Denmark and just get by on a penalty kick that was actually missed by Harry Kane and eventually finished off. So it, this is a tough one to call now. And that's where I, I feel. My predictions didn't go perfectly, obviously, but to see England in the final, as a lot of us did expect, it's just the way Italy has played, I think, has caught everyone's attention right now. Well, the fact that they're on a 33-match undefeated streak definitely has a lot of people thinking about them, but how much does home field factor into this, the fact that England is playing at Wembley Stadium here? I think it has to, but at the same time, maybe it's just, just a completely new territory and We've always known there's kind of that weird relationship uh, because of the passion for the club game in the Premier League and throughout England that sometimes the, the national team, the expectations are, are just so high to the point that you're, you don't know how the crowd's receiving the team. But I think that's a completely different tone right now. I think the World Cup in 2018 and the way England played to get as far as they did has a lot of confidence in the fan base and they come into this one with even higher spirits and the thoughts and we've seen what the crowds have been like at Wembley watching them play in these critical matches and 
the reception kind of around the world for England fans so far. I think that that does shape up to be, you know, really awesome setup for them and to see the kind of the way the players are building off of that every single match. Yeah, you, you can't doubt that there is an effect. We can feel it here watching it. And it's been kind of nice to just see those kinds of experiences happening again in world football. How would you rate this Euro as a whole, as a passionate soccer fan that you are? Seven knockout uh, stage games have needed extra time, uh, three of them going to penalty kicks. What have you thought overall of the product? Yeah, I think the product's been quite good. Um, I I still think if I were to compare it against the last World Cup, I'd say the standard of play at the World Cup in a lot of stretches just ha- had a little bit more of that excitement. But with these tight matches, you're on the edge of your seat in most of them, even in those slow moments and the way that some of the teams have kind of dictated their play, and especially England, where in the group stage, they played a little bit more boring than we've seen in these most recent matches. But then you think of the reaction of the Italy and Spain match and you know, the, the emotions that went through that for those fan bases after Spain had to get through the quarterfinals on penalties against a, an undermanned Swiss side. And now you, you kind of look at the way that they do it again, just getting by Spain, needing a little bit of help and a little bit of luck. But I think that was one of the matches to watch so far. The, the way that it was kind of played and the way everyone was kind of just stopped and watched, it, it, that was maybe one of the best games we've seen in a while. And we've seen a few of those so far. So I think the standard of play has been good. I couple that with the fact that we have had fans for a lot of these matches and gives it that kind of real-time atmosphere that I think a lot of us have just been really longing for, especially us in North America. Now, they've been playing these matches all over Europe as opposed to just one site. Now, UEFA's president has said that staging the tournament across all of Europe wasn't fair for supporters. What do you think of the fact that it's been all over the place in Europe? But It's obviously necessitated by the pandemic, but is this something you like, or do you think a one-country or two-country hosting would be better for the future? I like it, and I think it works in Europe because the infrastructure is already in place for a lot of these setups. Because you know, I think that's been a complaint, especially about this upcoming World Cup, and we've seen it with past World Cups. So, you know, what is the point of building sixty thousand seat venues that are going to be left to be used and not kind of realizing their potential? They they kind of hit their peak at the tournament time, and that's it. These a lot of these. Uh, countries that were hosting matches already have kind of the stadia in place and by not having to have eight or nine facilities that are constantly being used and to share them throughout the country I think was great I think with just the fact that we're playing Euro 2020 and 2021 and giving different fan bases the chance to see their national teams and have those national teams playing in front of home crowds I think has been a really great thing to see will it lead to those arguments of punditry and Twitter about England and their run through this tournament if they do end up winning it what kind of asterisk will the 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 naysayers have on this competition I think is a very valid point but I think it's a great idea to just have that opportunity for more fans to see their teams playing in this kind of a setup just based on where we've been for the last 18 months. And so just to confirm, you are picking England to win on Sunday? I think I have to. I I picked them to win at the start. They make it to the final. I'll have to stick with the guns. I think just what what we've seen from from Grealish since he's starting to kind of get the the leash taken off a little bit from Gareth Southgate and letting some of these attacking-minded players, Raheem Sterling, you can put him into that regard too, of getting some opportunities in the final third, creating and looking for uh, for ways for England to start creating some offense. They played a safe game in the group stage. The matches have really opened up, especially the Denmark semifinal, and 
Now we're seeing England with that chance, but they're doing it against maybe the best defensive team in this entire competition in Italy. So I think that we could be in for a bit of a thriller as we look ahead to, to Sunday afternoon. Do you have a rooting interest in international soccer? Just for full, just full transparency? Uh, European-wise, I would say uh, not really. I think that there was always a thought when you're growing up, you're exposed to, I mean, we like we kind of grew up at the time when David Beckham was the most recognizable athlete on the planet. So you couldn't help but gravitate to, to what England would be doing at international tournaments. And, and that was kind of where my mind went when I would look at teams and who I might be wanting to pick to watch on World Cup days in 2002 or 2006. Uh, so I don't have a rooting interest really in this contest, a lot of my uh, soccer attention does go to the Canadian game now. So I've just been able to kick back and enjoy a lot of these matches so far. And uh, that's what I'll be doing uh, on Sunday. Uh, I'll be probably surrounded by people with a lot of rooting interest. So I can enjoy uh, kind of their reactions as they stress their way through it. So you're in the uh, CPL bubble for the kickoff event at uh, IG Field. So far, about halfway through it, Valor FC Maybe a bit surprising that they're at the top of the table uh, through four games played. They have three wins and a loss. Uh, every team but uh, Edmonton and Halifax have played four games so far, and Winnipeg's team is at the top. What have your impressions of Valor's start been to the season? I think that this is kind of just showing that the, the patient approach that, that Rob Gale had since season one, we're starting to see it really pay off. We saw signs of it last year when they were playing in that bubble in Prince Edward Island, and you started to get the feeling that finally – there was kind of a core developing with this Valor group. And Andrew Jean-Baptiste is the one that kind of starts it all and uh, now wearing the captain's armband at times and has been a really key player. I, I would say maybe the best player so far through four matches uh, in this season in the Canadian Premier League. And you add in the likes of local player Rafael Oheen, veteran midfielder Daryl Fordyce and Austin Ricci up front. And those are just a few of the, the names you can kind of look at in, in this side right now. I think that Valor has a core now and they can surround them with some of these younger players that we've seen them do. They brought in two more players on loan from the Montreal Impact, including Jonathan Sirawa, who has yet to concede so far uh, in this season through his first three starts to have clean sheets, two nail wins in all of them. So the core's developed, I think, for Valor. Rob Gale's found some pieces to, to play around them, and we've just only got to see tastes of this Brazilian midfielder they brought in, Rafael Gallardo, who was once a teammate of Neymar, uh, we barely got to see him so far. We've seen a taste of it, especially for those who may have watched Valor's last match with a close call as Gallardo buried a free kick into the top corner against York, but the play was called back. So it's obviously a small sample size, but the the cream of the crop so far through two seasons have been Forge and Cavalry FC. Uh, they won't play Cavalry in the bubble. They're playing basically all the East teams in the bubble. Forge, they play again on Sunday. From what you've seen of those teams, does Valor kind of right now belong at the top with those clubs? Yeah, I think if you're looking in the conversation so far in the season, you, you have to keep them in that top four right now. I think we've started to see since season one that yeah, the class of the league had been Forge FC and had been Cavalry, and Valor ends up, uh, some would say, an upset against Forge in the last match. So it's looking ahead to, to Sunday with fans in attendance. It will be one of the must-watch games, I think, in this bubble just because of Forge looking for some revenge after losing to Valor on opening night. But I think it's fair to put them in that conversation. I think we've seen 
that, that Valor belongs right now in that top four. I put Pacific FC, the team from Vancouver Island, in, in that conversation as well with the way that they've been the most entertaining team so far in this contest. Cavalry has the deepest roster and the best team on paper, and Forge is the two-time defending champions, and they have returning player Tristan Borges, who won both the Young Player of the Year and League MVP in the first season. He didn't play last season, and the team won without him, so now he's back. If he's healthy and good to go uh, moving forward this season, then I think those two teams still stay 1-2, but I think there's a conversation and some challengers now, like Valor and Pacific to get into that uh, that top group in this league. We mentioned home field for England. Valor also playing this whole kickoff tournament on home turf, and they'll have some fans in the stands for the remainder of their home games. Is there any griping going on amongst the other teams that Valor might have an unfair advantage from that regard? I, I think that, you know, <laughs> we know from talking to people in sports, everyone wants to play that, that underdog card, I think, and that's kind of where the, the teams have kind of looked at it. But when I ask players, you know, in this bubble about it, even at the time when, and shout out to those Red River Rising fans that gathered in the corners outside of IG Stadium or IG Field before they were even allowed to be inside watching the matches and cheering on, the, the players I talked to from other teams, they, they just said it feels more like a real match. Even if they're not there to cheer for them, and they're definitely not here to cheer for them, they, they, the noise adds something to the match. You have more of a stadium atmosphere. You can really feel the energy in that first game for Valor, even though there was probably less than 1,000 people there on Wednesday night against York United. I think that by the end of this, we'll be seeing close to that 2,000-person cap, and you'll really feel that energy and hear that noise. And the crowd are definitely making up for the low numbers with, with the noise that they were bringing. And everyone I talk to just says it, it feels like a real match, and that's something that everyone's excited about. And I guess for this, these players that played last year at a university campus in Prince Edward Island, I'm sure playing in a, a big stadium, even if it is on turf, feels probably like a bit of a step up. Yeah, I think so. Just even combining it with practices and you know, having that atmosphere where you can treat it like a, like a road trip, at least in the regular season. So you have somewhat of a more of a, a normalcy and having that atmosphere of being inside a stadium that you know, even if it's usually a opposing ground. I think that there's something that a lot of the teams are taking from that. And it just adds that atmosphere that, you, you know, you feel like you're in this bubble playing in a professional sporting event and, and getting set for the season. So, yeah, I haven't heard any complaints about the venue. Everyone seems to be enjoying their time in Winnipeg so far. Before I let you go, Ryan, the Olympics coming up in less than two weeks. Canada's women's soccer team opens its tournament. Uh, what are your expectations as we kind of get to the twilight of Christine Sinclair's career here? Yeah, one, one more medal just be a great way to, to wrap mm -hmm. it up. I think that that's... I'd still set the target at, you know, to get into the gold medal match would be fantastic for Canada, obviously. But I think you still look at the, you know, just kind of continuing to defend these bronze medals is it would be a, a great success, I think, on this program as we are seeing, you know, a lot of these stars, Diana Matheson, who scored that clutch goal way back when it ends up announcing her retirement this week. The Winnipeg legend Desiree Scott will be on this Olympic team one more time. And yeah, getting to see that blend of this new wave of, Canadian star players and stilling having Christine Sinclair out there and doing her thing still, still able to score goals at a high level. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm looking forward to watching those matches for sure. And I think that the Canada has a good chance of meddling one more time. Why not? Let's keep it going. That'd be great. Ryan, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this and enjoy your time in the bubble. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more 
every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the